Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, see, now there's a pretty intro song. <laughs> you know what I was thinking since we're approaching our what, 200th yes. uh, episode? I was like, you don't look a day over 125, Right? <laughs> I thought so. I feel fresh. I was thinking, do we need new music or do we... Oh, you know we what do I mean? a poll? Right. Like, are we, do we need a new theme song? I mean, there is kind of comfort in that. Yeah. Remember when you first introduced me to that music and you sent me the clip of the, what it was going to sound like and I was at the airport and then Landon videotaped me dancing to it in the airport? Mm. That was one of my favorite memories. Yes. Yes. That seems like ages ago. It really, it was ages ago. Yeah. Man. Well, but then, so I'm, as you know, watching the Will and Grace reboot. <gasps> oh, the re- oh, the new one you're watching now. I finally got to Good. the new ones. Yes. And I like the new song because it's like a uh-huh. variation. Yes. Like of- a modern, more modern take on it. And I was oh. like, do we need that? Do we need to add like a <laughs> snare drum in the background or like a kick <laughs> drum? Like right. a bass line? Boom. Boom. Maybe something. Or do we be consistent? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. People, write in. (laughs) This is your moment. Write us and let us know. I don't want to make too many changes. You guys don't like change, but... Who does? It's just something to think about. We have two more episodes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's like right now. Um, Hi, everybody. (laughs) How are you, Sarah? You oh, don't I'm doing seem yourself well. today. You under the weather? Yeah, you know, there's just like bugs Something. going around. You know what? I was reading about the epidemic it, of the flu. It's really bad. I hope you don't have okay, that. Okay, knock on wood. But I have heard there, there's a girl in my cohort who works at a coffee shop. Yeah. And two people who are regulars at her coffee shop died. Oh my God. Of the flu. That is hideous. And Were one they had gone to the hospital that day. No. Come home. 24 hours later. Were they elderly or what? I don't know. One was like not elderly. Oh my God. Did you get a flu shot? Yeah, but like not this year. Uh, you have to get it every year, Sarah. Well, I didn't then. No. Okay. Well, that's bad news for yeah. you. Yeah, I know. Did you? Yes. Of course. Because oh, remember I, I got the tetanus shot. And right. Were like, you were you like, you might your... as well. Yeah. I got, whenever my friend Kelly had her baby, I got the flu shot and the whooping cough shot. What? <laughs> You were just like at the hospital and we're like, what the heck? No, she said, hey, if you want to come over and see my baby, you oh. better go get yourself a shot. Oh my God. And so I got the whooping cough because that was going around. That is crazy. I would have been like, oh, I don't want to see your baby. No, I really wanted to see your baby. <laughs> I wanted to see it right that then. That is a hoot and holler. Well, yeah. I hope you don't have the flu. Me too. Um, uh, hopefully this show will like, you know, make you feel a little better. It's yeah. like chicken soup for the soul. Right. Well, or, you know what? Just like I was listening to one of our previous episodes and I came over in a crummy mood one day and you just quickly <laughs> turned that around with a poo knife story. So <laughs> what you got for me today, Sus? Somebody tweeted about that and was like, I really love that you asked the important questions. Is it serrated? <laughs> it's like such a good point. Like, yeah, There's journalism right there. There was a lot to, to learn about the Pune. I know. I still have questions, but I'm just going to let it <laughs> Wait, rest. did you see that somebody tweeted to us and said that he had yep. done it? A lot. Mm-hmm. He has a boo knife. Apparently, it's a thing. I didn't ask any follow-up questions. Well, and then did you see the other person who said, hey, I've also known somebody to suck toilet water out of a phone? Absolutely not. Yep. They don't send that to me. <laughs> they know I would judge. <laughs> All right. Oh, this episode is not about poo. No, it isn't. At least it's I don't true. Think so. No, I have no poo content. Me neither. <laughs> mm, That's I had to rare. check my notes, right. though. <laughs> There could all- I have a Look, story about things that happen in sewers, but it okay, has nothing to much... do with poo. We'll see. It's actually the you opposite of what right you'd now? expect to find. All right, let's hear it now then, so, since we're on the subject. Yeah, might as well. So have you heard about how they're having a ton of problems in New Orleans or New Orleans? How do you say that? Which one I do you prefer? I say New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. Uh, tons of problems. In fact, uh... 93,000 pounds of problems. What do you think they're finding in the gutters there? Oh, um, hurricane drinks. No. Slushies. You're close though. (laughs) What? Mardi Gras beads. 93,000 pounds were pulled from the gutters. Wow. And it's causing a total problem to all their sewer systems. These Mardi Gras beads are ruining the sewers of new orleans that's really funny though why do you think all of a sudden well 
just because of the one, the, the parade. No, I mean, like, wouldn't this no, happen think, annually? Oh, right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I think, oh, you know what? That's a good question. Maybe there is some link between recent storms and right. there being a-, a problem already with the um, drainage systems or, like, the sewer systems in that city. Do you think that the beads are, like, still on the necklaces, or do you think it's just piles of beads? Ooh. I think that's a that's not a good question because now I'm trying to picture it. I think they're still on the necklaces because you know so how too. they're kind of attached. It's hard to get those things apart. Yeah, they're meant to last. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had? You know the um, royal, what are they called? Royal cake? What the hell is that cake? Oh called? yeah, where like there's King a little cake. baby King hidden cake. in it. Yes. Have you ever had one? No, but they look delicious. Yeah, but are they? I bet they're not though. I know. You know what else I hate? Speaking of which, those stupid Pantone. Uh, or whatever. Nobody those wants cakes. those. Somebody at at Trader Joe's back in Christmas tried to convince me, no, no, this one's different and it's delicious. <laughs> I was like, how much are they paying you to say that? And they're disgusting. Those things have never been good. I don't even know if I'm saying the name of the brand right. That's a- <laughs> they're horrible. My bestie, uh, Kelly in Pittsburgh, she's Italian, so they eat that cake or whatever bread yes. or whatever the hell it is. Yes. Every, is it New Year? It's either New Year's or Christmas. Something. And I'm. And she gave it to me one time. It was so nice. But I was just like, why are people eating this? It's sort of like the fruitcake thing. Yeah. It's like a cake in a box that like shouldn't be in a box for that long. And there's raisins, right? Yeah. There's like dried fruit in it. I never want fruit in my cake. Me neither. Just cross the board. Well. Carrot cake. That's a vegetable. But that right. is the exception. And boy, oh boy. If anybody makes a good carrot cake, it's Susie. Boy. Yeah. I have never made carrot But I feel like it's in the same category as zucchini bread and banana bread. So I feel like since you have those ones down, I know that your carrot cake is probably bomb. <laughs> That's Am I best. right? I've never made carrot cake. Like ever? Never. How is this possible? You were like Susie Homemaker. I just didn't have a desire oh, well, to make it. Well, you should probably try that sometime. Because I feel like you got all the other vegetables and, and the cakes. the only reason I make banana bread so much is because the bananas go ripe and then no right. one will eat them. But where they will in bread form. Exactly. So it's and like gosh, a way not to waste. Whereas carrots, they're fine. Yeah. No one's, <laughs> they're yeah. not going bad. But you made zucchini bread before too. Yeah, that's true. That's only when you have like a garden and someone gives it to you and you're like, what the hell am I going to do with all these zucchinis? <laughs> make some bread. I'll try to make carrot cake if you want. I mean, I'm not forcing you into the <laughs> kitchen, for goodness sakes. Susie, put on an apron. Get in there and make me a carrot cake. My whole menu is just like vegetable and produce confections. <laughs> <laughs> for no reason. I don't know how this got put I'd on I'd like me. all of my vegetables in sugar and flour, please. I Not to, you know, stick with this New Orleans theme, but yeah. no, the but let's. Road Rules 2, which is the one Tim Beggy was on, mm-hmm. Was in the Mardi Gras parade yeah. as one of their missions, and their mayor—you know how they had mayors on the show, like yeah. oh right, right, right—he was Harry Connick Jr. <gasps> Stop! Stop it! For real? For real? And what I have so wrong with jealous. all the seasons. I- Is that Harry Connick Jr.? Yeah, and Chris <sighs> Farley was on that Stop season, it. right? Really went downhill. Who did you get? Oh, you know RuPaul, who we got? You got no. I well, no, that was the Glad Awards. Oh. <laughs> but we did get um, the lead singer from this band called Lords of Brooklyn. All right, which was pretty. I mean, they were pretty good. I was like real into punk music at the time, so they yeah. were kind of like Brooklyn so you were punk. Into it. And he was so hot, and he drove us in his Cadillac. And I was like, I am too nerdy to for this guy to like me, and like way too young. But he was so hot. And he and wasn't he, into you. No, nah, I mean, because I was like a little. I mean, I was like twenty one. He was probably in his like late thirties, mm. and he had tattoos, and he wore that like the cool hat. Do like you know his hood. name? I bet we could look it up. Right. <laughs> and I listened ideas. to their all their CD just on repeat. It was so good, and he he was sexy. But I was also I also had a boyfriend at the time. But, oh, well, well, that ruins that. Yeah. Well. Boyfriend didn't last either, so what ifs? <laughs> Should have got with that. You know what will last? What is your obsession with Latote? Uh, I have a, a Latote or a, a tote I have to customize right now. See? Yeah, I just sent it in. I love that service. I love it. Right, right. It is like the greatest. Right. I actually like it even more. Like I yeah. used to just love it, and now I love it even more. I don't even go. Sh- I don't even have to like worry about what am I going to wear. This. The- the deal is, and all of my pictures are like, where's that turtleneck? I'm Lito. like, Lito. <laughs> this yeah. one I'm wearing, Lato. 
I Everything love that one. I have is friggin' Latou. Can I feel it? Yeah. Let me feel that. It's okay. very nice. That's fabulous. Thank you. Ugh, you always look good. <laughs> um, if, if you're not familiar, Latote is essentially a sort of subscription service for clothes, but the difference is that you can wear the clothes as much as you want, and then you can return them or you can keep them at a really low cost. And they have designer brands like BCB, G, Max, Azaria, Nike, Rebecca Minkoff, uh, Olivia Culpo was on there. Yeah. For, I don't know. Yes. I mean, they have tons of stuff. A Red, bunch of new Calvin Klein stuff that's really cute for work. And they are great because if you're uh, pregnant, you can get maternity clothes without having to buy a million dollars worth of maternity clothes. Right. And then once you send your box back, you get another one immediately. It's not like a once a month thing. It, no joke, took 24 hours for me to get for when I, I dropped it off at the post office. Yeah. Could they give you the bag? It's already yeah. pre-labeled and everything. It's yeah. so easy. And then, I mean, maybe even stuff. less than that, I get this notification, you know, customize your new Latote box. We're ready for you. Go to Latote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to enter promo code BRAINCANDY at checkout to get 50% off your first month. Once you sign up, you'll receive your completely customized tote within days. Just wear what you want and return everything in the mail when you're done. It's that easy. Again, that's Latote.com. Enter your code BRAINCANDY and always have something new to wear with fashion delivered right to your door. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what are they going to do about those beads, though? You well, they have a solution. What? what? And I thought the name was adorable. What? They came out with a thing called Gutter Buddies. Who came out with it? I don't know. Somebody really smart who was in charge of city planning or whatever, or at least the sewers. And they're these little, not little, they're big. There are, they're like covers for the gutter that allow water to go through, but not beads. And I'm like, took you long enough. <laughs> so this is like a city... Yes. implemented yes gutter buddies solution yeah Why? gutter buddies also the name for the people who will help the drunk friend off the <laughs> side of the street as he's puking Good. that's another gutter buddy <laughs> well question for you yeah. what is your theory on why every city doesn't just have that style of gutter to begin oh. with this is a good point. to prevent garbage from going because down. even just leaves i mean when in the city i live in there are a ton of trees, and when it rains, or, and, and doesn't rain often, and there's always sewer problems, mm-hmm. like uh, drain problems, because the leaves will fill up, and that, that just clog the drains and everything. It's like it's we're not designed yeah. for heavy rain, so yeah. when there is heavy rain, it always causes a problem and flooding and things like that. They we should need, do that. Gutter buddies need to sweep the nation. Yeah. You well, know maybe I mean? it's one of those things where if it works well and... New Orleans and other people will start to catch yeah, on. Yeah, right. What are these dummies doing? Is Mardi Gras your scene? Would you ever go? <laughs> I see. I know. Would you ever go? Ever? Uh, no. Me neither. It's not for me. No. I was thinking long and hard about like the Mardi Gras <laughs> long and <hard>. cult- <laughs> culture and, and you know the boob flashing and everything. And then a memory popped into my head of one time when I went to, where was it? The Roxy on Sunset Boulevard and saw Steel Panther, an 80s tribute band. And I must have been 18 or 19, and I definitely was pulled up on stage, and I definitely flashed my boobs. Oh, did you? Yeah, these little bee stings gave the whole audience a little peeky peek. Wow, did they like it? I mean, they were cheering. Sure and then, this oh my God, this is the craziest part. One person in the audience went to summer camp with me when I was a little kid, came up to me and was like, hey, remember me? We went to summer camp when I was little, and I was like, oh my, oh my God. God, oh my God, oh my God, I need to die. It's it's not even the boob part that makes me not want to go to Mardi Gras. Right. It's just the people, people. and the Can't what deal. is in it. I I love my bed. I, I love my too. house. Oh my god, going to sleep is like the best. Isn't sleep great? It's so great. <sighs> and just peace is great. Yes, and but who I guess needs a yard of alcohol? Nobody. No one. Ever. I'll tell you what I love in New Orleans, though, is Jazz Week. Oh, I, I thought I would want to go, that, too. And that is really lovely. That's like music, a different crowd. Yes. I mean, you just sit there and you're like, holy crap, this is an unknown person yeah. who's more talented than anyone I've yes. ever met. Were you the one telling me about the history of the blues? Uh, yeah, just I was reading that, that book. Or read that? Yeah. Yeah, the that's really music. cool. The devil's music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you just think, holy crow, how do they... How are you that talented and you're just on some street corner? Right. It's awesome. That kind of stuff I'm into, but Mardi Gras is not, not 
for me. No. You know how like Isaac and all those guys? Yes. What the hell? Right. They tried to get me to go to spring break this year. I was like, (laughs) I think you have the wrong number. You have got to be kidding. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do at spring break besides like usher kids to safety? Right. If they are in a date, teach them yeah. about consent. Right. That's exactly what I'm going to do at one of those things. Get no on the mic and no, be like, you guys. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, Forget gosh. it. I'm the worst at those kind of, that's why nobody ever called me to do any uh, of those kind of appearances. I did one. I did a spring break one time. Susie Meister did a spring break. Mm-hmm. How was that? It was great actually. What? <laughs> so much fun. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Bye. I met Kara there, you know, Kara Zavaleta. Yes. And a lot of people that I'm still friends with were there. And I was just like, it was really fun. And then you did the spring break challenge. <laughs> less, less fun there. Right. Uh, anyway. Spring okay. break icon over here. <laughs> right. Accidental. <laughs> Accidental spring break icon. Okay. Here's what I want to talk about. Yes. Oh, gosh. I can't wait. She's got a big old smile on her face. It's, the smile comes from knowing that no one else will care about <laughs> what I want to talk about. I read an article. Mm-hmm. Like you do. About paper jams. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm against them. <laughs> I am anti. I'm anti-paper jam. It was really. It, what caught my eye was that it was talking about how the printing press was invented in 1440 and the paper jam was invented in 1960. What? Like all that time. There were were no paper jams? It was manual. So it was just sort of like cranky crank or one page at a time, which, you know, is a lot of work. But then once it became automated or whatever you would call that, uh, motorized. 1945, I said 1960. 1960. Yeah. That's when things got tricky with the paper jam. And I love the article because... (laughs) Tricky with the paper jam. (laughs) I love things that I can read and then it feels applicable to Uh a broader It's like a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. So the paper jam... (laughs) Also would be a great name for a band. (laughs) Totally. Right. I bet there is a band called Paper Jam. Um, you know, everyone has like a printer or a a fax machine or a copier and like, it's this perpetual problem and it, these, all these engineers and stuff sit around all the time trying to get to the bottom of how they can fix it. And there's really not a lot they can do. Yeah. What's the biggest culprit in the... So paper (laughs) (laughs) is the real, is the real, is the rub. So so you got to get the nicer kind of paper, huh? It did say the nicer paper makes a big difference because they put the, they put, I love the when you indulge me. They put paper, if you put this under a microscope, this edge of the paper. Oh, it's not really straight. It's complicated. And they compared it to like a mountain range. Yeah. And that... The crappier the paper is, the bigger the mountains are, and the more dust then can get caught in the machinery uh-huh, uh-huh. from the edge of the paper. <laughs> I'm peak nerd right now. Well, I mean, I get it. Like, I even had a, a printer that would always say there was a paper jam, but there wasn't. That is infuriating. We ended up, remember, I told we got a new printer, and it was after Adam got his super deal on the printer. I was like, get you, rid of this thing. What was going on was the dust <gasps> was. Yep, clogging up the works. I bet you're right. And it was so, an old printer. Yeah, a we lot kept of it on the dust. floor for a long time. That's dumb. I bet you that's what it was. And so, okay. So yes, I I think I mentioned before, like I'm overhauling my life right now. I'm trying to do a bunch of different things to like change things that I didn't like that I was just living with it. I was like, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, when you just accept crap, uh-huh. and you're like, wait, I can do something about that. Yes. So. You know, you try to get organized and you try to do this and that, but there's always going to be a paper jam. You know what I mean? Like as refined as your schedule is, yep. as if you exercise, if you meditate, if you have a good marriage, whatever it seems great. Yes. It, you can't get can't rid of the paper jam. <laughs> this is deep. It's so, it's kind of like about accepting imperfections at, you know. Or buy you- a new printer. Which will still have paper jam. You're right. Oh, when she's right, she's right. Yeah. So like, 
then it was talking about how I also, this is kind of like the Freakonomics style situation where they're talking about paper jams, but then they talk about how in Chicago in the mid nineties, they had a courthouse that called in the Xerox company and was Mm -hmm. like, look, we got all these printers and they're jamming. Jamming. (laughs) Not like the fun kind of jamming. The paper jamming. The paper jam. And so what was happening was that in the courtroom, the judge would say, you have to get the papers in by this time. Uh Uh-huh. And then there'd be a paper jam. And what was happening was two-thirds of the defendants were being set free because the paperwork wasn't being turned in on time. That's a really big issue. Yeah. So it's like something you would never think of as a big deal, but like... Two-thirds? Yes. They had to fix that problem. I don't know what they did. Yeah, they did. They had to remedy it. I guess they, they went back printers. to manual. And there's just like a guy <laughs> cranking. Gutenberg's back yeah, there. Like, yeah. am I still doing this? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just the they said that something as simple like that we use every day mm-hmm. involves physics, engineering, mm-hmm. computer programming, interface design, chemistry. And yes. it's like something you're just like, I got to print out this stupid thing, right? And then when you can't print something out, oh my gosh. Right? The all hell breaks loose. All ha- like the panic that go- ensues in my butt. Oh. Right, because what are you going to do? And then I'm all- I'm like that person who waits till the last minute to print it, and then sure enough, something goes wrong, and then I have to run into class and say, I just need to print this on the break. Can I-? You know, oh, you I know hate what? being that, that person. That happened to me with my dissertation where there was literally uh, a window where yeah. I had an hour. Oh, my God. You know, and yes. this stupid printer. <laughs> it never works when you want it to. I'll tell you what does work when I want it to. What? Stamps.com. Always. No jams there. No jams. Um, I am a person who really likes, as I've mentioned, to automate my life, to have things in place that are convenient and easy. I also like a bargain. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's what Stamps.com represents because I can ship whatever I need to ship from my desk with a discount on postage. And it's great because it's really convenient. There are no paper jams. I'm telling you, it's it's good blessed. Uh, We had two winners last month that won. um, We had like a reality TV prize pack. Yeah. And a loyalty pack. And I just shipped them right from my desk. And uh, so here's the scoop. They have all the services of the U.S. Postal Service available to you. Any letter, any package, any class of mail. They make it super easy. They'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage, so you don't even have to like wonder if you're getting it right. We use stamps.com because it's super easy. Trust me, I don't like hard stuff. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in brain candy at stamps.com and enter brain candy. And I always just feel like do the trial and see how great it is. So, yeah. I had presents to send to my brother and my mom. Just like everybody's birthday was like right now. Thank goodness for that. Super easy. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. You had all kinds of weird subjects. Do you um, want me to carry on? Have you on? seen this one? This one keeps popping up. And have you seen Vanity Fair's new talent theater series they're doing? No. Have you, you, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that I'm going to introduce you to this. <laughs> so Vanity Fair is doing a whole series of like secret, it's called Secret Talent Theater. Okay. And it's where celebrities come on and they share a, like a secret talent that they have. Why are Oprah's they doing on it? There, Nicole Kidman's on there, Reese Witherspoon. What's the point? I, just for just fun. Just to show, just a fun little clip and to get people. Is this a their, live event? No, it's a, it's a clip that on their website. Okay, great. Yeah, or Got you can it. find it on YouTube, things like that. But some of them were really funny. And the one thing that kind of stood out is that... They're all female except one male. Oh, that's and interesting. I thought that too. I was like, oh, what is it? It kind of made me like, is uh. they, So with the Oprah and Reese, they're promoting that wrinkle in time. So they're together okay, a lot. Okay, okay. What There's about also, like Mindy Calling? Uh, Dakota Fanning was on there. Greta Gerwig is on there. Um, uh, Lupita, how do you say her last name? Nyong'o. What do you, how do you say? Nyong'o. Nyong'o. She was on there. She taught people how to do a, a, a snap. A certain kind of finger snap. That's like an African finger snap. That's so she great. teaches you how to do that. Um, but Nicole Kidman's, I can't get over. Tell me. She eats bugs. 
Oh, I did see that. I didn't know what the reference was. Yes, that's what it is. She eats like, and not just a little bug. Yes, yeah, she a was lot enjoying of it. I thought, what is it. this? She loves it. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, they're high she in protein, so and she, she talks didn't about how. It? I mean, it's just a clip of her saying like bugs are high in protein, and all around the world they eat these in other places, and blah blah blah. The and one she, takes, she said was like nutty. She yes, she takes chopsticks, and she just goes to town on. And I was with her for a little bit because I love crickets. Yeah, love them. Those uh, the from Oaxaca, from Mexico, they have the. They're like sweeping the, the nation. Uh, they're so good. They were. So, I was so into those when I was in Mexico. That when I came back, I tried to find them on, I was going to order them on Amazon. And then I was like, oh, they're probably not going to be as good as the, you know, restaurant, I don't know, the fresh crickets. Yeah. Like I'm turning into a lizard over here. But she loves them. Yeah, but hers looked like there was that, but then there was like, what, kind of slimy stuff? Yes, that's the part I'm not into. It was like maggoty. Mm-mm. No. But there, I went to a restaurant in Pittsburgh where they had some items on the menu with crickets and different um, what would you call those insects? Yeah. And, uh, I was asking, I'm like, is this like a, just a novelty thing so that you yeah. get people to come like a gimmick? She's like, no, the chef wanted to experiment with sustainable proteins yes. because we're worried about the future of meat and mm-hmm. what's going to be available to us. Well, and then I was watching my new favorite show. What's Phil, ha- what, what's Phil having? Right? Somebody feed Phil. Somebody feed Phil. It Wait, used to be called. Did, okay, yeah. so I knew there was one called that. Yeah. Somebody feed Phil, and he's in Japan. Yeah, one one of the ones I watched, and he goes to um, this really beautiful restaurant, and this guy's a very uh, creative chef, and he puts little ants on the side of the plate, and Phil's like scared to eat them, but then eats them, and you could see the look on his face of total surprise. He said they taste like lemon. Oh wow! And the craziest part was that the chef said. That he's doing a lot of research on ants from different regions because they taste different depending on where you are. Wow. So like they're peppery here, but they taste like lemon in Japan. Wow. What the heck? Wonder why that would be. I, I wonder too. And they, he said he didn't know. Wow. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. Eating the bugs. I, it's not cool. That I mean, Nicole... it's not cool to eat bugs. <laughs> I mean, that Nicole Kidman is eating bugs like that are slimy. I mean, hey, I guess it's all what you get used to, but... Yeah. What other talents do you know? Like, yeah, what's well, Oprah's? I got to find that out. Nicole, Oprah's. Oh, I was How like, many talents can one person have, for Christ's sake? Well, my question to you is, what would you do on there? I feel like I... Susie, you can come up with something. Let me just tell, show, share other ones so that you can get inspired. <laughs> so, Dakota Fanning can name all the American presidents. That's great. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Greta Gerwig showed off fencing. Mm. She did, like, a fencing move. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ella Fanning teaches you how to do a ballet turn and the weirdest one and the only, uh, Oh, you're to answer your question of what, uh, of what, um, Oprah does. She teaches you the proper way to clean up your pets, urine and feces. If they Why? have an accident, Why? Oprah's trick for cleaning up dog poop. Why? I haven't even watched it yet. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. Well, I was although like, you could use that. I really could. <laughs> I know. Um, but my fa—it's not. I, don't, I can't even call it my favorite one. But the weirdest one, the only one that's a male, is Michael Shannon. Who is and that? You have I to forget. see a picture of him, and then you'll know who he is. Yeah, he's kind of like a what do they call him? Character yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He put two dollars and ten cents worth of coins up his nose. Wow, <laughs> and they were all dimes. Oh, good question. No, I think some were quarters. Oh my god! But he was like, I sticking, do not like that. Yeah, one it made bit. me really nervous to watch. Really, really nervous. So those That's and clever. Amy Adams teaches you how to throw a football. I bet you they're trying to do a pilot. Like I bet you they want to turn this into a show. You know, like how Jimmy Fallon started that lip sync thing, and then it became its oh, own show. Yeah. That this to me feels like something that they want. You've to got turn to have into. a secret hit, uh, something that you could teach somebody. Something that is like a funny. I mean, I would just say banjo. That's well, I'm like not one. qualified to teach that. I could probably but teach someone play. to like. Play French horn. Emma Stone did uh, jumped on a pogo stick, so I think you can. <laughs> you don't have to like really teach; just showcase your talent. Okay. You could do what French horn do? or banjo. You have a lot of talents. Um, mine are like really gross and disgusting, though. One of them is I can pick my nose with my own tongue. Oh yeah, I've seen this. And you Susie's looking at me I, like I'm going to do it right now. I've seen it, but I wouldn't mind seeing it again. <laughs> Ready? 
Oh, yep. Yep. It's pretty <laughs> deep, too. It's deeper than I remember. Oh, that's what she said. <laughs> and wow. then the other one is I can turn my feet all the way around backwards. Yes, that I'll never forget. Yeah. And besides that, that's kind of all I got. Well, <laughs> you know what? We all have our gifts. Yeah, you know? You, I- talented musician, me, <laughs> nose picker. <laughs> No, I remember when we did that on the ruins, though, mine was to say the ABCs backwards. Okay, there you yeah, go. That, There's one. That's too quick, though. You know, you want to drag it out a little bit. <laughs> you want to keep them, like, on their toes. Yeah, it would be a really long drum roll for my tongue up my nose. I, I have to write don't. notes for this, so I'm like, Sarah picks nose with tongue. It's been a really long time since I've done that. How did it feel? Well, you know, uh, it's kind of like riding a bike. I feel like your tongue grew, though. Oh, my God. What if it did? Does that happen? Is <laughs> it longer? Even- it feels longer. It feels longer. Holy Maybe your shit. face is getting scrunched up in your old age. <laughs> Why are you saying things right now? What are you Why saying are you to me? Talking. Uh, <laughs> well, wait. Don't. Yes. Didn't we talk about how your nose grow? Is it your nose and your ears? What if my nose is getting closer to my tongue? It probably is. Oh my god, my face is messing up. <laughs> what am I going to look like ten years from now? You I'm going to be able to scratch so my eyebrows with this thing. You know what? I wouldn't be mad. Um, I wondered what you thought about the recent Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. I didn't see it. It just came out recently where they allowed the women to... There were a few changes. Yeah. The one could write... Christy Brinkley's daughter, Sailor, she wrote like words that defined her um, that were empowering mm-hmm. and the things she were was proud of. And this was all in response to like, how do we make a swimsuit issue in the era of Me Too? Right. And then um, they also let her take photographs of one of the other models because she's a photography student. And so they were trying to do things that weren't dictated by men yeah. on set yeah. that were like, you do what you want, don't do what you think we want you to do. Yeah. And I wondered if you think, is that enough or do you object to like the issue in the first place, the swimsuit issue happening at all? Hmm. What are your thoughts? There was a a time where it did feel like I had more objections to it, but I think they've made a lot. Of, I don't think there's anything wrong with showcasing female beauty. I really don't. I don't think any beauty, any beauty, yeah, male or female. I don't think there's anything wrong with being like, wow, that is a beautiful human being. I think we just need to expand our definition of what beauty is. And I really loved when Serena Williams did it, and it was Venus and Serena, I think. And they, I remember somebody like jumping on the beach and being like, oh, and it just looked so muscular and beautiful. And I was just like, oh my god, that's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I didn't like the one where they did the Barbie one, where Barbie was in a bathing suit. Did I you see did that one? I did not see that. Yeah, there was a Sports Illustrated that was at the same time when Barbie was celebrating, or, and it was like Barbie swimsuit edition. It was That's, freaking weird. It's a little much. Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I don't think there's... I don't know if there's anything wrong with that, especially because I opened up my, uh, my you know, phone this morning, and in the news it said, oh, where was he from? I think Tonga? It was shirtless Tonga man gives us exactly what we wanted. And he's like greased up and oiled up and waving the flag. And the article was, and I just couldn't help but think women would have been outraged if it was reversed. And Mm. somebody says, you know, women from wherever give us exactly what we want. Yeah. We'd be like, oh, don't say that. (laughs) You know. <laughs> well, it does. It is, and different. it was exactly what I wanted because he looked good. <laughs> they, they weren't wrong. They were not wrong. And that yeah. was ABC Sports, right, or NBC Sports or something. So it wasn't like a you know. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the swimsuit edition. Yeah, I, 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 my only problem with any of it is if women feel like they're um, at the mercy of men or a system that is making them objectified, which a lot of people argue that just the existence of these types of magazines is mm-hmm. objectifying them. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. It depends I mean, on the woman and also the picture and also the viewer. Yes. You know, yeah. the gaze. Yes. It's like, I feel like when I walked in the Ralph's grocery right. store, it's like, 
I don't know. Yeah. So it's yep. nice to look at pretty things. I had, oh my God, I had this weird, the weirdest moment yesterday that really reminded me of our stop being polite. Yeah. Um, Initiative. Yeah. Yeah. So I was leaving the post. I was dropping off my tote bag. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a man who looked like he probably didn't get a lot of female attention. And I kept my eyes on the ground and kept walking and I got this vibe like he was upset that I didn't look at him and smile and in my mind for half a second I felt guilty that I didn't because I was like oh he probably doesn't have a lot of ladies who smile at him like that or whatever and then I thought why do I have to smile at a dude or why am I concerned with you know how this Joe Schmo feels yeah and there was just a lot of thoughts that I had about you know, I mean, a lot of that has to do with your motivation. Because if you just want to um, be kind and friendly mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. someone, great. Mm-hmm. But if it's this idea, I, the thing that rings in my head all the time is, I'm not here for your entertainment. Right. That's what I felt like in that moment. Yeah. That like, I was dressed really nice. Yeah. Really nice. And oh my God, believe it or not, I was wearing heels. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Yes. And I think in that moment, he almost looked at me like, you should have smiled at me. Yeah. And I felt really kind of ucky, yicky. Yeah. And I had to, as I was walking up the stairs to the post office, I was like, you don't owe him anything. Mm-hmm. He is a dude on the street. Stop worrying about being polite. I've been really encouraged by people who've been posting in the Brain Candy Crush Facebook group and also just like sending messages saying the ways in which they've implemented to stop being polite. Yeah. And and I keep thinking about how when I've done it, mm-hmm. I'm still polite. Right, right, right. So right. the wording isn't perfect because I'm I'm not encouraging people to be a-holes. Right. I'm just saying don't do that thing where you acquiesce to like yes. the imaginary or hypothetical idea and sometimes explicit demands that we place on you to keep the peace and mm-hmm. whatever. But people totally. have been saying, hey, one gal had a problem at her salon just like you. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to say anything. And then the next day she went back and she was like, you know what? I really don't like it. Yes. And they were like, great, we'll fix it. Yes. You know? And I bet she felt really good after she got And they wh- were probably happy to help. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So you... That's fantastic. Sometimes I think we come up with scenarios like mm-hmm. they're going to be offended. They're right. going to be... And that aren't even true anyway. True. Totally. So that's been encouraging. What else is encouraging yeah. is all the fun stuff I got in my FabFitFun box Ooh. that makes my life great. Fun. I know it Fab really. Fab and fit. <laughs> my mom always gets the name wrong. What did she say? She'll be like, oh, I love those fun FabFit. Like, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, it's out I'm of I'm going to be that, that mother someday. Because I sent her the... Um, the previous box and she is obsessed with the socks that were in oh, there. Oh, I can totally see her being so into one of those boxes. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's her favorite thing. She's obsessed. The and fuzzy socks? Yeah. I knew it. She loved them. But guess what? The spring box is here. So it's the 2018 spring box and it's now on sale. And a few things that they have in there just for us, it's like a sneak peek, mm-hmm. is the Rachel Pally clutch in three reversible <gasps> designs. What? You can get uh, a lip statement palette. There's a love bracelet. There's earrings. And then they have like self-care products. Like they have um, guava body butter, uh, massage roller. Come Ooh. on. I want that down. I'm make Landon do that to me. <laughs> so, Massage me. Roll me. Yeah. <laughs> Oil me. Love Oil me. me. Give me the socks. Yeah. Yeah. So they, this spring box is really, it's packed full of stuff. And get this, the total retail value of the spring box is over $350 value. And here's how much it's going to cost you. This box delivered four times a year for just $49.99. And they're full-size products, mm-hmm. as, I, as I should say. And when you sign up for FabFitFun today and get your spring box, the FabFitFun spring box is in limited supply, and these boxes always sell out. But if you use our code, you get an additional 10 bucks off your first box. So go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well-lived. Use promo code BRAINCANDY to get $10 off your first box. That's over $350 for only $39.99. Whoa. Go to FabFitFun.com and use my code BRAINCANDY to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. Okay. So we have a guest. Yeah. 
This is the author of a book called The Elephant in the Brain, Hidden Motives in Everyday Life. I was intrigued. Well, we love brains. And I love elephants. (laughs) This is all true. And (laughs) I was intrigued by the premise. So the idea is human beings are primates and primates are political animals. Our brains are therefore designed not just to hunt and gather, but also to get ahead socially. Often uh-huh. by devious means. Yeah. So it says, while we may be self-interested schemers, we benefit by pretending otherwise. So mm. the brain is doing all these like kind of gross things, but we almost trick ourselves into thinking like, no, I, it's like, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. <laughs> so that's what they're referring to as the elephant in the brain. It's an introspective blind spot that makes it oh, hard. Oh, like the elephant in the room. Yeah. I get it. Makes it hard to think clearly about ourselves and the explanations for our behavior. So the aim of their book is to confront the hidden motives directly and track down the darker, unexamined corners of our psyches and blast them with floodlights. So, I mean, the the book is great because it gives a lot of examples of things that we do as humans mm-hmm. that are um you think are motivated by one thing but really are motivated by something totally different and somewhat sinister perhaps depending on who Ooh. you are i kept thinking about the challenge i that's the only thing that comes to my mind when you talk about this cuz even though the challenge is weird and contrived it's almost like a yep. microcosm yes. of real life yes it's a it's putting a micro like zooming in on yeah. it but also it's an exaggerated version of it so you get to see yes. it at a what it's is, more obvious. Yes, it's like more obvious. The games that we play, yep. the lies that we tell, yes. and who is you know paying the price for mm-hmm. it. So I think you'll enjoy the the uh, book, The Elephant in the Brain, by Kevin Simler and Robin Hansen. We have Robin here, and he will kind of illuminate a little more about these motivations and how the brain is playing tricks on us and why we're all deeply invested in not believing that this is true. Ooh, I love that. So please enjoy this interview with Robin Hansen. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love your book. I have lots of questions for you. Congrats on your book, by the way. Thank you. Years Uh, in the making. Really? Tell me how long. Well, uh, this has been an idea I've had my whole career. I've been slowly building up with it. And finally, I had a co-author that we could put something together. And even that took several years to uh, actually put the book together. So it's a big idea. It took a while. Why were you so into it? Why was it something that you were wanting to do for so long? I was was pushed into it. (laughs) Uh, Why? I was a, well, I was a naive uh, young social scientist <laughs> and uh, struggling to understand the world, and a bunch of things just didn't make sense. And this was the key to help me start to make sense of things. And uh, it's something I want to pass on to younger social scientists now is the thing I, the big biggest mistake I think I and many others make are, uh, about the social world. Well, what I was intrigued by to begin with was that this concept about hidden motives is controversial to begin with. What is the deal? Well, it's not controversial if you talk to psychologists or talk to uh, people in literature, yeah, people who are savvy, you know, politicians or managers or salespeople. It's not controversial to them. But if you go to the policy world, if you go to the world where they study schools or hospitals or charity or politics, there it's controversial. You mean they don't... Do you think that they're in denial? (laughs) I think uh, for each of us, it's relatively easy to take the parts of our life that we don't think that important and admit there that people are not always honest. So, uh, But for each of us, there's a thing that's sacred to us. For you, it might be journalism. I don't know, right? (laughs) But if if journalism is your sacred thing, then if we talk about medicine or we talk about religion, we even talk about politics, you'll be okay with saying that in those areas... People aren't very honest about what they're doing, and they have relatively no motives. But if we get to the thing that you're precious thing, <laughs> yeah, that's that no you're fun. sacred about, then admitting that about your sacred thing is, is is a big deal. It sort of breaks this precious thing to you. I really liked how in the book you and your co-author uh, acknowledge your own motives for writing the book. Like yours aren't hidden. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, presumably there's probably even worse ones. Than <laughs> yeah, but those are the fun ones, so it's okay. But yeah, you kind of said, hey, this helps our resume or it could help our careers, whatever. But why is it so hard for us? To do. So all of the hidden motives we have are all completely reasonable things to do. Yeah. And many of them are even somewhat praiseworthy. So we say, for example, that in medicine, you're mainly trying to show that you care about people you love. <laughs> and in politics, you're, you're taking your allies and you're showing them how, how with them you are. You're, you're together. Yeah. And ordinarily, you might think that's a pretty positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still the sort of thing that could end up violating a norm, you see. Yeah. And what our claim is that humans have devolved this mental capacity to constantly watch what they're doing and other people are doing and try to interpret it in terms of things that might or might not violate norms. Right. And since a lot of norms are in terms of motives, we're constantly managing a story about our motives and other people's motives. We want to spin our motives to be the best they can and other people's the worst. And even if we have pretty good motives, those motives still might violate norms. And we're, we're trying to find the, the, the motives that would most avoid any potential norm violation. One of the themes throughout the book is this emphasis on the fact that human beings are animals, right? So what, why is that so important to th what you're trying to describe? Well, you're trying to ground the expectation <laughs> that pretty much everything we do should make sense. Right. And it should make sense in a functional competitive sense. Yeah. That is, people often get in this habit of just separating out humans as this other animal that isn't really an animal and none of the usual rules for animals apply. When you go look at tigers or rabbits or snakes or anything else out there in the world, you see that they are exquisitely detailed in order to get their job done. Right. <laughs> their, their size of their body, the, the skin, uh, the, their teeth, the kind of habits they have when they're awake, when they're asleep, how much energy they have. It's all exquisitely tuned in order for them to win in their world, in order right. for them to mate and to uh, pray, you know, eat prey and to escape predators and to not freeze to death. Yeah. We, we expect that of animals. We understand that most everything animals are and do should be understandable in terms of the kind of competitive world they're sitting in. And then when we come to people, we throw that out. Why? We, we look at things people do and we say, well, they just must be doing it for fun. As if fun was an explanation. If you saw, you know, a, a rabbit sitting out in the, in, the, in the cold, freezing to death, you say, well, he must be having fun. And that, that wouldn't make any sense. Right. Well, well, why is the rabbit having fun freezing to death, you'd say? <laughs> right. But when it comes to us, we sort of don't acknowledge that. We have all these things we do that we, we don't want to probe into the reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and fun is a great example. Fun is this mental block. And you, you say, why does somebody do it? Well, for fun. And you might think, well, how is that an explanation? I mean, we want an explanation in terms of like things that make you live or die or have more right. descendants, or, you know, something that works. Right. Yeah, more so important. And I mean, even I had read a, a, another book that was talking about play and, and children and that even the word play, people have a hard time defining what we know it when right. we're doing it. It's like the right. porn definition from the Supreme Court. Well, we know so it. There's a literature on play. And, and from the biological point of view, when we look at animals playing, we, we can easily distinguish yeah. it and understand it. It's just when it gets to our play, we have more trouble because we don't really want to see play as functional. Well, uh, we don't because it, it, it goes against the way it feels to play. You see, from the point of view of playing, it's not supposed to be for a point. Right. Uh, it's, it's supposed to feel like you're not achieving any particular goal in play. You know, that's the mood you're supposed to be in in play is not achieving any particular useful goal. You're just playing. Right. But of course, you're an animal created to play and play has functions. Well, however you're feeling about it, there's a reason play is there and there's a reason you evolved to play. Uh, but we just have this mental block of thinking about it. Even that, you even, went so far as to talk about comedy a lot and how we yes, love to laughter. laugh. Yeah. So laughter, we say, is a play signal. Right. It shows that we're in a play mode. Yeah. But you see, we're often playing with the boundaries of norm violations. So, right. so when a, a, a simple animal like a, a rabbit or a tiger plays, they play chase. 
They play run, they cat, play fight, they, they play catch, they play hide. Those are the things those animals do, and so those are the things they play. We're a really social animal, mm -hmm. so we play social things. And because we have these norms, we play social norm violation. So right. in our social play, we're often pretending to violate a norm, pretending to do something that if we did it seriously would be a terrible thing to do. But right. we do it in a playful mode, and we're showing that it's it's just play, so it doesn't count. Right. Uh, we are so, weird. You, know, you even say that in the book. You're like, humans are strange. It's strange to us. But of course, you know, once we under, once you understand what we're saying in the book, it's all straightforward and makes sense. It's not, these aren't strange things for people to be doing necessarily, the things we're really doing. The strange thing is that we don't know. That's right. the, the biggest puzzle that we try to grapple with in the book is, well, if we think we're doing one thing and we're really doing another and the other thing we're doing makes complete sense, it's a completely reasonable thing to be doing, mm -hmm. why don't we just admit it and say that that's what we're doing? Right. And I mean, that's kind of the point of why you call the book The Elephant in the Brain, right? Is that there's this big old thing hanging out. <laughs> that we don't want to admit. <laughs> yeah. And and plausibly for most people, it's maybe not worth their noticing it. You know, if we evolved not to notice thing, <laughs> this thing, maybe we're better off not noticing, at least if we're still in an environment that's a lot like the environment our ancestors were in. Mm -hmm. we, we acknowledge that. We, we don't want to force everybody to pay close attention to this. Yeah. But we think that if you're a social scientist or a human scientist or somebody who studies human behavior and policy, especially, you have more of a responsibility to, st to understand this and and taken into account. Yeah, uh, that was the next thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, this sort of idea that academics love to, to be asked, so what? what? What is, why are hidden motives important? There's clue to something that we don't want to admit, <laughs> that mm -hmm. we might not realize we don't want to admit because we're hiding it so well from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And some of them are relatively simple and mundane things and other things are, are bigger things. Uh, but this is a big clue to human behavior that, that we are, in fact, not that honest with ourselves about a lot of the things we're doing. There's uh, a so. um, an episode of Friends, maybe you have seen it, where um, they have a debate amongst the characters about whether you can have a completely selfless good deed. What, sure. do, you, <laughs> what do you say? Well, I, I'm sure it's possible in principle. The, the, the real question is is the frequency. So, <laughs> so the world is really complicated. So, so we have to say right up front: look, almost every kind of class of behavior that people do, they're going to actually end up doing them on average for just an enormous range of motivations. There's just a lot of things you can accomplish with most everything. Uh, you know, you can go to school to pick your teeth. <laughs> you know, you, you can go to the doctor because they they've got some Kleenex you want to grab. I mean, you, you know, you can just do lots of things for lots of reasons. So. When we say that there's a usual reason we give and that we're giving an alternative reason, what we mean is that we pretend to prefer to talk about one reason mm -hmm. as if it was the main thing we're doing. And it's less than we say. It's not that it's zero. So, uh, And there's this other motive that we don't like to admit as much that's more than we say. So if somebody says the dog ate my homework, mm -hmm. that works as an excuse because sometimes maybe dogs do eat homework. Something doesn't work as an excuse unless it happens sometimes. True. So, all of the motives that we say are motives that sometimes apply and sometimes make sense. And that's why they work as excuses. That's why we can pretend that they matter more than they really do, because sometimes they apply. The point is they don't apply as much as we say. Can you explain the concept? I think it's you call it self-deception. Is that the right thing? Self-deception, and we coined this phrase self-discretion. Yeah. As a variation. Yeah. Uh, so... Self-deception might be where one part of your mind uh, just doesn't realize something and another part of your mind knows. Right. And, and you're just clueless about it. Self-discretion is where one part of yeah. your mind kind of whispers it. <laughs> so the other part of your mind can not pay too much attention if it doesn't want to. Right. Maybe it kind of knows it in some principle sense that it, if it probed enough, it would have to admit it. But it's not focused on it and, and it will sort of neglect and not pay attention to it if it can get away with it. Is it do you think it's important to try to hear the whisper or not? Well, again, that's coming down to your purposes. So yeah. our claim is humans evolved so that the conscious mind that I'm talking to in you is not the you who makes the key decisions. It's the PR agent. It's the person whose job yeah, it is so to terrible. spin a good story about yourself. And that's who you are as this conscious version of you. And 
since evolution produced this version of you that's consciously spinning the story, it has a reason for that. And it's probably on average the thing you should be doing if you just want to win in the usual sort of environments that your mind was built for, which is all fine and good, except when we stand back and try to analyze the world as academics and intellectuals, if we don't face facts here, we will mislead ourselves about what's going on and just not understand the social world. So if we want to really understand the social world enough, say, to make policy recommendations about how to change things, it's on us to actually pay more attention and understand what's going on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you think that you've changed since you started researching this? Of course, in many ways, but I'm older. (laughs) Older, really. As a result of the research. (laughs) Right. So I think the usual stories we tell about ourselves are inspiring and grand. We, we, we think that we humans, at least in our best modes, are wonderful people. I know. And we like to think that we ourselves in our best <laughs> modes are wonderful people. Yeah. And we tell hero stories and we celebrate our best uh, heroes and people we most admire. And we, in ourselves, see, see those heroes in ourselves sometimes when we do things like the heroes that we most admire. And that's a noble and, and inspiring and, um, you know, a nice creature to be in and a nice world to be in. And it's not real. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you start to realize the real creatures that we actually are, we think the real creatures that humans are, are still spectacularly interesting creatures. Right. And they're the, by far the most interesting, powerful creatures on the planet. And we, we cooperate well and we are, we are admirable in many ways, but we still just aren't the creatures we would like to be. Right. And so it's still a bit of a downer to yeah. realize that none of us are the ideal things that we would hope to be, uh, because that's just not realistic. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer, but that's all right. I mean, if you, let's say everybody read your book and then all these folks who maybe haven't admitted that this is true suddenly agree with you, what do you think that they would choose to do differently with regards to policy and those types of things? Well, they might be more realistic about things. So, for example, we, in our personal lives, tell wonderful stories about medicine and school. We say that medicine and school are wonderful things. And therefore, when I push you to get medicine, I'm I'm being a good person by pushing you to get a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. If I push you to go to school, I'm pushing you to get a good thing. If I have school, then that makes me a good person for having this good thing of school. And so a part of our usual incentive to spin a positive story on school and medicine ends up making us say they're great, wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out in reality, they're not as good as they seem. Right. We really are wasting a lot of resources on medicine in school. On the margin, we could cut back a lot with very little harm. Right. And that would probably be a good thing. And maybe we would, if we were more honest with ourselves, we would cut back a lot. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, when we talk policy, This is, again, a world where we pretend we have one agenda and we really have others. When we talk policy and politics, we pretend as if, of course, the agenda is about which policy would be best for the world. Mm -hmm. And I will give you arguments about why some policies are best for the world. And you might give counter arguments by why other policies are best for the world. But of course, what we're doing is trying to figure out together what's best for the world. And if that were really true, then there'd be a lot more potential for me to figure out better policies and tell everybody about them. Because what they really want to (laughs) do... is just find the better policies and implement them so that we can all be better off. Mm-hmm. Now, but what is really going on when we're talking policy is that we are in various political coalitions and we're trying to show our allegiance to our political coalitions. Right. Then when we talk policy, we will find excuses to keep showing allegiance and we won't actually be that, that interested in which policies are more effective. Right. Which, which may, explains a lot about politics and policy conversations. On the other hand, it means that if I actually come up with a better policy, it doesn't mean anybody will want to adopt right. it. <laughs> right. That's and this idea. was a big problem I had. That is, early in my life, I was excited by social science because I saw all these big ways in which policy could be better. Right. And then I started to realize that lots of people have been proposing big, better policies for a long time. 
right. and people hadn't been that interested in adopting them. And that became a puzzle. What's going on? Why can't we get anybody to listen to our better policies? Is it because we're not explaining it well enough? We're not doing enough demonstrations? We don't have enough books that put it in ordinary language? We aren't joining the right political coalitions to lobby for them? What are we doing wrong? Because we have all these big improvements nobody's interested in. Right. And this is my explanation over the years is the problem is we've been solving the problems people say they have and they've been lying to us about their problems. And so they kind of know that. So they know when we come up with a solution that gives them more of the thing they say they want, they know not to be that interested because yeah. they didn't really tell you what they really wanted. They right. didn't really <laughs> think they said they wanted. And right. so, you know, if I say, for why what I want for Christmas is kale and celery salad, and you give me some kale and celery salad for Christmas, and I might say, ooh, that's just what I wanted. Right. I didn't really want it. <laughs> right. Um, my co-host and I are both, uh, people who have been on reality TV shows and I didn't expect this, but while I was reading your book, I was struck by some of the ways that animals behave that sound very similar to the ways that me and my, uh, fellow cast members behave, especially when there's a, you know, com competition. Yeah. Um, the social behaviors and political motivations were intriguing to me. I was wondering, I don't expect you to be a big reality TV consumer, but if you maybe know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know enough that I've been watching yeah. some reality shows for a while. <laughs> right. Like, uh, you know, Survivor or whatever. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, even Survivor from the very beginning, one of the most you know dramatic things there is, when we talk about picking leaders and picking people in our ordinary lives, we talk about picking the best people and getting rid of the worst, as right. if it was all a big social way and we're all helping each other. Of course, if we've got some somebody who's a lays about and, and who isn't pulling their weight and isn't very skilled, maybe one I want to get rid of them. And if we have somebody who's really skilled and, and, and insightful and, and strong and has stamina, well, of course, we want them. And then when you saw in the... Uh, reality show survival, you saw that when they were deciding who to vote for, what they were often doing is taking the strongest ones and voting them off right? because they saw those as competition. Yeah. And you realize, well, in our social worlds, the people we choose and praise and reward aren't necessarily the best. Right. They're often the people who will like, we think will help our coalition the most. Right. And people who are strong and independent may be threatening to our coalition. Yeah. And in, in certain ways, when we're on these shows, at least, maybe not in real life, we are we acknowledge that there's those motivations because it is a game right and we're the wa people watching and those other people aren't us and that makes <laughs> yeah. all the difference you see <laughs> right 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 and so that's we so this is an interesting fact about about acting even which is um if you have a script, say, of, of two people at a restaurant uh, who are in love and saying how much they love each other, and you give this to an actor and they will say, I can't act this because there aren't two levels. We expect real people in real situations to have multiple levels of the thing they say they're doing and the thing they're really doing. And unless there are two levels, we will find the script and the, the acting to be unbelievable. Oh, wow. <laughs> because that's what we think should be really going on, you see. That's what we expect Is to be going on true? all around us. That's so bizarre, and but makes sense. And so we, we are okay with believing often that other people are very political and very manipulative and, and selfish, et cetera. We are quite willing to believe that our rivals, people in other countries, presidents, politicians, our boss, our rivals, they're all playing games and being strategic and being mean when they can get away with it. And then when we look at ourselves, we think, but I'm not like that. And then you decide right. that you and your friends and your allies, you're not like that. And you you have these rose-colored glasses about yourself and your allies, and you think you're different, and that's why you're better, and that's why you deserve to win, and those other people deserve to lose, because they're not good people like you. <laughs> right. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was that I you talked about how there's two, two schools of thought and the ways that we deceive ourselves, where the old right. school is Freudian in a way. Right, of, okay, can you talk about comforting. that? <laughs> right. So one story is, why, why do we lie to ourselves? And, yeah. and one simple story is to say, well, it's comforting. Yeah. It feels better yeah. to lie to yourself because then the world seems like a nicer world. And again, that's like the fun explanation. 
it's it's just on the surface of the emotional response, but it doesn't probe behind that to say, well, why would you have that emotional response? So yes, it makes sense to do things that are fun from your point of view because it feels good. But why does emotion? Why does the world? Why did evolution make it feel good to do that? Right. Similarly, from the point of view of self-deception, yes, you might feel more uncomfortable when you admit awkward things. And evolution might have tried to push you to not admit them. And one of the ways it pushes you is to make you feel more comfortable right. when you don't admit them. But it, it just pushes back the question, yes, but why is it uncomfortable? What is the point of that? And so we say there's a function. Mm-hmm. And again, yes, we have feelings and yes, our feelings drive our behavior, but that's just one level of explanation. We have to drive further and say, why do we have particular feelings in particular situations? What's the point of that? And to get an explanation there, we need to go more to fundamentals. What are the main fundamental things we're trying to achieve with our lives and our behavior? And how do these behaviors and these feelings help us achieve those things? Mm-hmm. Um, we ask everybody what they keep in the trunk of their car. Can you share that with me? Uh, well, I, I keep a... Uh, the habit of having clippers for uh, batteries if the battery went in. In the old oh. days when I used to drive, batteries would go dead more often right. and I would need the clippers to jumpstart it. I haven't needed to jumpstart a battery in a long time. Right. I still keep clippers in the car. That's Just sort of an old case. habit. Just in habit. I have extra water bottles. I, I like to have water in the car and I run out up front. So I got the extra bottles in the back. See, that's uh, good. You're ready for anything. So sometimes I've had uh, blankets in the back because I thought I, I might want to go have a picnic, picnic for a while. Oh, some that's time. So nice. nice. And so I have just a few blankets where I could go drive to a little nearby park and have a picnic and sit and eat oh on the grass or something on a blanket. That's nice. I like that answer. <laughs> the weather, it's not that weather now. <laughs> no, right? Not that time of year. Is there anything uh, about the book that you want to share beyond what I've already asked you? Well, uh, I want to mention that I have a previous book. was my first book that came out a year and a half ago. It was called The Age of M, Work, Love, and Life When Robots Rule the Earth, on a very different topic. That's fun. And uh, that's, you know, sold sold well, uh, but it's in part because it was on a topic that was sexy at the time, you right. know, robots and what's happening with robots. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a weird book in the sense that uh, it tries to do a new thing. And yeah. so uh, both that book and this book are both like big grand books in the sense of having a big point of view and trying to make a big claim, which is what I think books are for. Right. Uh, I, I always get frustrated with books that are just like a bunch of little anecdotes strung, de- strung together that are supposed to carry you along and so you don't get bored. But like, what was the, when you were, and you're done, you go, what was the point? You know, what did I really learn? Well, so you're... I like big, ambitious grand books here like this one. And this one is better written because of my co-author. So I want to celebrate my co-author, oh. Kevin Simler. He was a software engineer and a software manager, and he decided he wanted to take a break for a while and do something more intellectual, more academic. But he said he didn't actually want to go get a PhD because that sounded like too much formality and stuff. So he came to me and said, could we just work together? And after working together, we decided to write this book together. And he sees this as a substitute PhD thesis. Here he's shown that he knows a lot and has engaged an important question. And he didn't have to go through all the rules. And yeah, he was like that. He did the right thing, I think. Well, you're off the hook. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for talking to me.